Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Today, we're going to start a series through Philemon. Philemon is a small epistle. It's written to a specific person, Philemon, from Paul, and it is the epistle I ever read. That was me, I think. The first epistle I ever read. Let me tell you why. Because when I first started reading my Bible, I didn't like to read. And so I thought, my pastor told me, he said, if you're going to get saved, if you're going to be saved, you need to find a fellowship of believers, you got to pray, and you got to read the Word. That made sense to me, so I started reading the Word, and I'd read like two minutes at a time, and it, I would like time myself. Okay, I'm going to read for two minutes. And then the joke between Angela and I is by the time that two minutes was over, I was all exhausted like, like I was the guy that, what would you do for a Klondike bar guy? You know, like, I made it, yeah, right? And then I read a little more and read a little more and got more comfortable in the Word. But I read the letter to Philemon, honestly, because it was the smallest epistle, the shortest epistle I was aware of at the time. And I wanted to be able to say, I read one of Paul's letters all the way through. But let me tell you, I know that's silly, right? But that's how we grow. But can I tell you that is this letter is my absolute favorite writing of Paul in all of the New Testament. I I love all of his writings, but this one's my favorite. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's a perfect picture of grace. It is the gospel on display. Let me explain to you what I mean. Paul, let me kind of give you a background. So there's three individuals primarily discussed in this letter. There's Paul, who is writing a letter to a, to Philemon in regard to, or on behalf of, Onesimus. Paul's writing a letter to Philemon because Onesimus was a slave who had caused some harm to Philemon's house and his home church, ran away to Rome where he came into contact with Paul. Apparently nobody meets Paul without giving their life to the Lord. He gave his life to the Lord, and then because there is aught between Onesimus and Philemon, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon to be forgiven. Why do I say this is a perfect picture of the gospel? Because in this letter, we see the shadow of the gospel. We see Paul making intercession on behalf of Philemon, the offender, or on behalf of Onesimus, the offender, to Philemon, the one who has been rightfully offended. This is what Jesus did for us. Jesus came, interceded on our behalf to God, the one rightfully offended. And so it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, if you'll read it that way. And it's a beautiful picture of why grace is so necessary to the gospel, that without grace, there is no gospel. And so Onesimus, 
the slave is a runaway slave, hence the name for this sermon series called Runaway Grace. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about grace, love freely given, which is the message for today's, the title for today's message. Grace in its shortest definition is love freely given. If I asked you what grace was, most of us would give the academic short version, which is to say to the unmerited favor of God, right? Because that's what we've always heard. Matter of fact, if you go to a Bible dictionary and look up grace, that's what you'll find. You'll find the unmerited favor of God. It means the thing that you didn't deserve, God gave you anyway. And so we've been given unmerited favor by God, and we call it grace. Now, what unmerited favor did God give us? Every favor God gave us is unmerited. Everything God has ever done on our behalf is unmerited. We deserve none of it. We were doomed to a sinner's hell. We were doomed to eternity without God, outside the presence of God, into a pit of darkness, forever separated from him, except for the love that Jesus Christ showed to us. Amen? The very breath that you take is an unmerited favor. The strength that you have to work is unmerited favor. The fact you were able to get out of bed this morning is unmerited favor. No matter what you have that isn't death and separation from God is a favor from God. It is by very definition unmerited favor and grace. But why would God give you grace? That's the question. Why would God decide to do such a thing? In order to understand why God extended grace, we have to take grace and we have to reverse engineer it. And so we have to walk it back to where it started. And that's what I'm going to do as part of the introduction. Grace was extended to us. Grace derives itself from compassion. You know what compassion is? Compassion is mercy that is played out in action. It's seeing something that has a need or someone that has a need that they are unable to meet themselves and desiring them to be put rightly so badly that it wrenches your guts out, that you have to do something about it. That's what compassion is. I have compassion on someone when I'm willing to not feel sorry for them but to feel sorry for them and do something about it. Compassion derives from mercy, which means God had the right to punish us, has the authority to punish us, but didn't. We were in the wrong place, doing the wrong stuff, taking the wrong actions. But God is a merciful God and extended mercy to us. Mercy is given because God loves us. Did you see what I did there? Grace comes from compassion. Compassion comes from mercy, and mercy comes from love. You know what that means? That God gave you grace because he loves you. That's the only reason that God gave you grace, because he loves you. That is the origin of grace. 
God loves us, has the right to punish us, but didn't, instead took action to save us from our own rebellion, and did so by extending grace, that is, favor to us. And the whole room should go, praise God. I want to talk to you today about grace. I'm going to talk to you for the next few weeks about grace. And I'm going to try to be, because I feel like it's what I'm supposed to do, as gentle as I know how to be. Because I know for the last month or so, I I beat y'all's brains out with the word. I've given you some hard truth. But you know why hard truth is necessary? So that you can see the need for grace. So you can understand the love that God has for you. Amen? And so today, in this writing to Philemon, Paul commends the love of Philemon and gives four expectations of that grace. Or, yeah, of that grace. I want you to pay attention because what did I tell you? Why did I tell you he's writing to Philemon? He's writing to him to get him to forgive and to show grace to Onesimus. But nowhere in the text that I'm going to talk about today does Paul ask him to forgive him. Instead, he spends nine verses talking about love. Why? Because love is the catalyst for grace. Without love, you can't show grace. Why are we supposed to love each other well? Because we're supposed to mirror God, and God extended grace. We are supposed to love each other enough to extend grace to one another. Amen? And so Paul writes this to Philemon in verses 1 through 9. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, into the church in your house. Remember, Philemon ran a home church. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm going to make four points. Today. They're not going to be very long, but they are very pointed. And here's the first one. Grace given is grace received. Grace given is grace received. God gave you grace and you received it. Paul says this. He, start, he starts talking about all the people around Philemon. He says, um, to Timothy, our brother, to, the, to our fellow workers, Aphia, your sister, Archippus, fellow soldier, and to everybody in your church. 
to everyone that's around you, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, everybody, brothers, fellow workers, the church, all of you, grace and peace. You know why he's capable of saying grace and peace to you? Because grace has been received by them. Because they accepted the gospel message. That's why he calls them brothers. That's why he calls them fellow workers. That's why he calls them the church, because they are believers. They have accepted that which God gave them. They have received grace. And you're like, okay, I get that. But do we? If we've received grace, how did we receive grace? And what is the expectation of that grace? Let me tell you, we've received grace, salvation, through the life, death, resurrection, and intercession of Christ Jesus. All of these people are family because they received grace. Because grace was given and grace was received through Christ Jesus. I want to read a text to you, if you don't mind. I'm going to read it anyway. I don't know why I always say that. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, and then I'm going to skip to verse 20. For he, he's talking about Christ, rescued, everybody say rescued, us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, he did all of these things through his own life, death, and resurrection. Let me, listen, I just gave you the gospel message in its absolute, beautiful, and perfect state. Jesus Christ rescued us. Did you know you were going to hell, that you were judged already? God sent his son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know why he did that? He did that because we were judged already. Not so that we would be judged. So he rescued us from what would be and placed us in the kingdom of his beloved son, which means that he caused us to be family with him. He moved us from where we are or where we were, where we have every right to be, where we were both by action and by birth, and moved us instead into a grace that we didn't deserve, which is an eternity with him. How did he do that? Through redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. He bought and paid for you. Redemption means to redeem. When I redeem something, I buy it back. I buy something, I sell something to you, I decide I don't want you to have it, I offer you money for it, you say okay, and I redeem that property back. He redeemed us from our sin nature. He redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness. He redeemed us and placed us back into the kingdom of his son. He not only redeemed us, but he forgave us. He could have redeemed us and still been mad at us, but he didn't. He decided instead that he was going to forgive us of our sins and through him to reconcile all things to himself, which means bring us back together. I'm just trying to preach the gospel to you. I know I do it loudly, but it's just how I talk. 
But it's a beautiful thing. You know why it's a beautiful thing? Because it's undeserved. You didn't do anything to earn it. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. You know how he made peace through the blood of his cross? Through the, through the, why he had to make peace through the blood of his cross? Because without blood, there is no remission of sin. He redeemed you, bought you back. And then reconciled you to God. We were in divine rebellion to a holy God. And the blood of Jesus didn't wipe over that, didn't cover that, but literally washed it away and chiseled that stain off of us. We are no longer under that condemnation. Why? Because love demonstrated itself through grace. And grace given is grace received. You know, as I was reading through this text, writing this lesson, it dawned on me something that brought a great deal of comfort to me. Not only am I saved, and I'm confident I'm saved, but as I read about Philemon, I realize Philemon, at some point in his past, was as wretched as I've ever been. Paul commends him for his love. He was as wretched as I am. Perhaps Paul can commend us for our love too. It's not by your work that you're no longer wretched. It's by his work that you're no longer wretched. It's by his work that you stand righteously. It's by his work that you have a hope and a future. It's by his work that you've been redeemed. It's by his work you've been forgiven. It's by his work that you've been reconciled. Does everybody get what I'm saying? All we have to do is what? He's extended the grace. All that we have to do is what? Receive that grace. Because grace given is grace received. All for one reason. Because God loves us. But he doesn't just say grace to you. He says grace and peace to you. You know, as I listen to these truths and... I can't tell you enough. These are truths. These aren't opinions. These are declared in Scripture as truths. The infallible spirit breathed word of God. I have peace because I know these things are true. How can you have peace in a world like today? Stock market's crazy. Gas is $5 a gallon. There's a war in Ukraine, man. Do you not watch the news? Well, the answer is no. I read my Bible. Because I know it doesn't matter. The world blow up today. 10,000 years from now, I'm not going to care about that. And I want you to have that same peace. Have you lost a loved one? 10,000 years from now. It's not going to matter. I want you to have that kind of peace. Know that God died, not just to God, Jesus died, not just to extend you grace because he loves you, but to give you peace, his peace. You're all, Pastor Jim, peace ain't, peace ain't natural. I know. 
Praise God, we live in the supernatural. Amen. We have to learn to live in the supernatural, recognizing that grace given is grace received. But in receiving it, we have to extend it. Grace given is grace extended. Verses 4 and 5. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Paul has heard of his love and faith and thanks God always in prayer. Did you listen to me? Let me hear this again. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of what? Your love. Because I hear of your love. He received grace, which is a product of love, and so he extended grace which is a product of love. Our responsibility is to extend a product, that love to other people, that grace to other people, because we are people who should be mirroring the heart of God, the Spirit of God within us. Amen? And so he tells us, you've received this thing, but you didn't receive it to hold on to it. You received it to extend it to someone else. The love in you should be the same as the love that was in Philemon. The love that was in Philemon is the same love that should be in Jesus, or that is in Jesus. Amen? We have to extend that love. He said, I've heard of you. Specifically, I've heard of your love. Can I tell you people have heard of you? Somebody somewhere has heard of you. You have a reputation in this town. Did you know that? I don't know what that reputation is. I'll tell you what my reputation used to be is a whole lot different than the reputation it is now. You know why? Because the love of God lives in me. And I pray that people say, I have heard of the love of God in you. Because I have not only received grace, but have extended grace grace. This is our responsibility. This is what Jesus did. If you're going to be a Christian, you got to walk as he walked. How did Jesus extend grace? How did Jesus extend love? I think of several people in the New Testament that encountered Jesus. And I, I could probably list a bunch of them, but for, but for the sake of time, I won't. I'll just list a few. I think of the woman at the well divorced multiple times, rejected by society, out at the well in the middle of the day because nobody wanted to have conversation with her. Everybody had outcast her. Nobody wanted to be part of her life. And in her shame, whether they forced her there in the noontime or whether she did it so she wouldn't have to face her reputation in regard to them, she finds herself getting water in the hottest part of the day and up walks Jesus. You know what he did? He extended love to her. He extended unmerited favor, which is grace, to her. What about the next time we see somebody who by all rights and purposes does not deserve love? We give it to them anyway. I think about not just the woman at the well. I think about the leper 
the guy who nobody else wanted to touch. Everybody ran away from. And it says Jesus reached out and touched him and made him whole. I'm sure in context it's talking about the physical wholeness in his body. But could you imagine the emotional and spiritual wholeness that Jesus has touched? Any human touch to that person would have caused that person. Nobody loves me enough to touch me, spend time with me, talk to me. But because I have received, I will extend. I think of the demoniac chained in a cemetery. Jesus crosses the sea, frees him of the demons that he has in him, and then turns around and paddles back. Why? Because he loved him. But he, before he left, this is something that's crazy, blows my mind every time I think about it. The town hated this dude so much because of the demons that were in him, they cast him out. They wouldn't let him in town. They chained him to the wall. He kept breaking chains. He was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Any of y'all done, ever, ever done any kind of crazy stuff that people don't want to be around you for? I have. And he knows that. He knows he's not going to be accepted in town. And so he tries to get in Jesus' boat. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't get to come with us. And we think, oh, no, Jesus has rejected him. No, Jesus said, now go tell the people in the city what just happened to you. Imagine loving someone so much that you not only look past their demons, their issues, their problems, all the reasons why society would reject them and then give them a purpose. Man. We, we, we're, I'll fix your problem right now. But Jesus gave him a purpose. That's grace extended. Because we receive grace, we should extend grace. Amen? And we should do it like Jesus did it. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And when we extend grace, grace becomes effective. Which is my third point. Grace given is grace made effective. In verse 6 and 7, he says, And I pray that the fellowship of your family, of your faith, may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Man, isn't that good? You're all, I don't know. Yes, it is. I'm about to tell you why. Because he extended grace, and in his extension of grace, it became effective. He said, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Did you know God is the giver of all good things? Did you know that? Which means everything that's in you was put in you for the purposes of glorifying God. The Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit exist to create you as a workman for God's purpose. 
so that the grace in you might not just be extended, but effective, that it might change the lives of people, not you changing the lives of people, but the love of God in you changing the lives of people. This is the glory of grace. This is one of the glories of grace that God allows us to share in it. It's amazing that whatever God gives us, he expects us to give away, including the love that he gave us. Mm. So I ask the question, are you willing to make your grace effective in the lives around you? Are you willing to reach out to the leper, to the woman at the well, to the demoniac? Not just extend it, but use the gifts, the callings, the purposes that God has placed in you, the graces that God has placed in you to demonstrate love in such a way that you affect change in someone else's life by explaining the, by not, not just explaining the gospel, but by being the gospel to them. Paul's being the gospel to Onesimus. Mm. Finally, grace given is grace expected. Eight and nine say this, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says, I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. He ordered him to do nothing. Remember what I told you? He set the foundation for his ask. He's wanting him to know that I'm going to ask you to extend grace because grace was extended to you. I'm going to ask you to extend grace so that it be complete in someone else, so that it be fulfilled in someone else. And then he says this, yet for love's sake, I would rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul the aged and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I could tell you to do it. I have as your pastor, if I'm your pastor, if you have ever looked at me or decided in your heart through prayer, Pastor Jim is my pastor. I have the spiritual authority to tell you, you will extend grace and love to people even if you don't like them. And you'd be in rebellion for not doing it. And there would be judgment for that rebellion. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I have every right as your pastor to tell you to do that. But you know what? I'm not going to lord it over you. I'm not going to lord my authority over you. I'm not going to lord my authority over you. Instead, I'm going to do this. I'm going to appeal to your love. And I'm going to expect because you have received grace because God loves you to love those around you. I think that's beautiful. Not just because I say so, but because the Bible says to. 
Colossians 3.13, bear with one another, forgive each other. Whomever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, slander, be put away from you. If you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Paul doesn't demand his for, their forgiveness. Paul doesn't demand their extension of grace. He says, I implore the love that you have. Let the love that you have be the source of the grace that you give. Because the love that you have or the love that God has for you is the source of the grace he gave you. Amen. Let's pray.